Huge thanks to Peter and the worship leaders for leading us in some great worship this morning. We uh, have been uh, coming up for this our third week in a row, uh, Renee and I, uh, my wife Renee and I, coming from San Fernando Valley, and it's just been a great time. We uh, get with uh, Gio and Karen in various meetings, and about at least at least once a month we get together for coffee or something and just talk about our lives and our ministries and. We thought that uh, we'd just have a lot uh, more to talk about if we spent some time together uh, here, and uh, that's been uh, what we've been doing the past uh, several weeks. And each Sunday when we drive home, we are so refreshed, really encouraged and, and built up uh, from our time with all of you. We know why Gio and Karen love you so much and why they uh, feel like God has... Uh, smiled upon them in a special way by letting them minister among you and something that we've also picked up on Gio and Karen and coming up here the last uh, several weeks is that uh, the people here uh, like you guys too (laughs) trying to figure out you know why no I'm just kidding we love Gio and Karen a lot Uh, really find ourselves and uh, the group that of ministers that we're a part of uh, really, really encouraged by Gio and Karen and how much zeal, how much energy, how much love for God and his people that they have. And just watch them. You know, we've been uh, with each other for a number of years now and just to see how they're growing in the Lord. And uh, also have really enjoyed just getting connections with the, some of the rest of you here. Uh, the first week that we were here, got to hear Steve Burns preach and really just did a phenomenal job. Loved it a lot, and especially what came through to me, Steve, was how much you love God. And, and just the, 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 the glow in you, the light, the energy in you that really comes from a genuine love for God and the Word. And uh, just enjoyed uh, that uh, time hearing you preach the Word and, and being around you and Andrea, as well as the other group leaders and the brothers and sisters here in Shoreline Ministry. And we're in a series right now entitled The Christian Atheist. And uh, today's title is, When You Believe in God, see if I can get this going right, there we go. When You Believe in God, But Not in His Church. Now, a couple weeks ago, Steve told a story about listening to one of the uh, sports talk show programs in the morning. And there was this story about, uh, or there's this advertisement about how, you know, you're really not... You're not a good parent unless you're breaking the bank, spending money to buy all the latest new sports equipment for your kids. You know, and it's somehow you should feel guilty in this. You're not getting the job done if you're not spending money, maybe more money than you have, charging it, doesn't matter. Just get this new sports equipment, right? And uh, I was listening, I think it may have been the same radio program or maybe the one right after it in the morning, but there was another one of those advertisements. Now, this reminds me of the one that Steve heard. And it was, it was adver- they were advertising rustic khaki pants. And the storyline behind the advertisement was, you may live a boring life, you may not be going anywhere, doing anything, but wear these pants and at least you'll look the part. And I thought, man, is that not our society? I don't really have to go there and do that. I just need to look the part. And there's a lot of that going on, isn't there, in Christianity. 
And in the last few weeks, we've been talking about that in our series that our relationship with God should affect our relationship with money. Our relationship with God should be something that's so real to us that we want to share it with other people. And that's what Gio talked about last week. And not only did Gio preach about it, but that's how Gio lives. It's really great to have a friend and know somebody like Gio that just loves to talk to people, his friends, his neighbors, people that are on the sports team that his kids are on or whatever. He just loves God and he wants to talk about it to other people. And, and, and you know, that was, that was last week's message. And today we're going to talk about how we can believe in God and if we really have a genuine faith, it is going to affect our relationship with what the Bible calls the church. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. We're going to see from the words of Jesus something that's important for us if we want to be true believers of the Lord. We're going to start reading verse 13. Before we do, let's pray again. Father, thank you so much that we can open up your word And in this time of worship that has softened our hearts and we've been able to meditate on lives being changed because of your power, we've been able to sing to you, we just pray now that as we look into the pages of the scriptures, that something important, something life-changing would happen by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 16, and verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's stop there for a moment. It's almost like Jesus is conducting an opinion poll. You know, what do people say? What's the word on the street out there about me? Oh, some say this, some say that. And of course, what the crowds were saying was all wrong. Now, you know, this is something that's done a lot in our culture, especially by politicians. And they size up, what do people think? What do you think about Barack Obama? What do you think about Jerry Brown? the new governor of California. What do you think about these people? And there's all this stuff going on about them, and especially when campaigns are on, they're trying to dig up all the dirt and all the bad stuff to make us suspicious and to make us wonder about them. But when you go into the the polling booth, all that really matters is not what they say, but ultimately, what do you say? What do you think as you cast your vote, right? Right. And you would almost wonder, is is that what Jesus is doing here? Because, you know, all this is going on out there and what these people say, but, but he says, what about you? What do you say? And the point isn't, we know from the Lord, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Jesus. We know that it's not like what they say was going to change who he was. Oh, man, five out of 12, you know, don't believe in me. What, what does that mean? But it would, it would totally affect them. It would totally affect them and their eternal destiny. What I think about Jesus isn't going to change who he is. Now, he loves me enough that it will affect him, but it won't change who he is. But what I think about Jesus and what you think about Jesus will absolutely affect you and your eternal destiny. 
And it ultimately always comes down, not what are people thinking about Jesus, but what do you think about Jesus? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Peter gives a good answer, a right answer, an answer that wasn't just brought to him by his own intelligence, but an answer that was brought to him by God. God revealed that truth to him. And ultimately, anybody that comes to saving faith in Jesus gets there because they've allowed God to work in their heart and their mind and help them see things that are hidden to other people who won't have a soft enough, humble enough heart to listen to what God has to say. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, what's important here is what Jesus does next. Because, you know, he asked them, who do people say? When, what do you say? And then Peter makes the good confession. You're the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus says, okay, now I've got something to work with in your life. Because that was just the beginning point. And then he says to Peter, he says, on this rock, the rock of your confession, the rock of your understanding, the rock of your realization, your conviction of who I am. He says, I can build my church on that. The concept of church is here introduced by Jesus. And we're going to see that if you want a relationship with Jesus, then you need to be open to how Jesus is going to work in your life. And one of the ways he wants to work is through his church. And what he says here upon this confession is, I'm going to build my church. Peter's going to give him something to work with, this, this, con, this confession. In verse 21, we'll skip down. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside. Now, this is a guy that got it right just a little bit ago, all right? He got a gold star for the day because he got it right. Well, we're watching him again here. And he took him aside and he said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. The, the suffering, the rejection, the, the being killed, that, that will never happen to you, Lord. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You didn't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. It's an important statement. Because if we're going to be true Christians, somewhere along the way, we're going to have to make a decision. Are we going to have in mind just the things of God and try to bring uh, you know, our life into a surrender to the things of God? Or are we going to try to do it the other way? Are we going to try to have the things of man and just if we can sprinkle in or plug in a little bit of the things of God in that, but basically have my life be just as it is? What a transformation took place in Jackie's life as she shared with us. She became a different person because she ended up being a person who was concerned about the things of God. And the more she was into the things of God, the less the things of man held sway in her life. Now, Peter's got to struggle with that. And I appreciate Peter because he's like me. 
He's struggling with this whole thing. But Jesus calls him out on it. Jesus tells it very clear. At this point, right now, you're not where you need to be. That's our Lord, the most loving person ever to walk the planet. And one of the ways he showed his love was shooting straight with people, speaking directly to them when they weren't where they needed to be. Do you have anybody like that in your life that loves you that much, that they'll shoot straight with you? And when you're not where you need to be, they'll tell you, hey, you know, you don't have in mind the things of God right now. That's the the things of man. Jesus goes on, verse 24. He said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. What's he doing here? Well, he's doing this. He says, right at the very center of this, I will build my church. It's important to Jesus. It's his church, but also how he's doing it. How he was going to do it is he was going to die on the cross, and then he would be raised from the dead, Lord of lords, King of kings. But it wasn't to stop there, and this is why it was so serious his interaction with Peter. And it's why it's so important that even though Peter was still basking in the the glow of getting it right and making the good confession, Jesus still felt necessary to rebuke him and so so forthrightly get behind me, Satan. Because if he's going to build his church, he's going to have to build it with the right materials. Let's look at another example of Jesus doing this only with uh, a greater number of people. In Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. It's Jesus. We're looking at Jesus, and what was important to him was his church, and we're looking at Jesus building his church here and how he did that. In Luke 14, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, those large crowds, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now this is an echo of what he said in that small group of of the disciples there. But now he's... He's saying it to a lot larger group of people. And what we learn here from this passage is that there, were, there was, you know, when Jesus walked through Palestine, he was walking through all of the people that were there, all of the people in the community that were there. Now, on this particular day, out of that community came a group of crowds. Now, it, it wasn't all the people, but some of the people... A lot of the people, because there was crowds, large crowds, people that heard him made a decision to want to know more, to want to get closer, to want to follow him around and and not miss what he was saying and not miss what he was doing. Now, it wasn't everybody. It's hard to believe from our vantage point, but there were actually people in Palestine who heard about Jesus and never came out and saw him and never sat at his feet, and never ever came to faith in him. There were people that ended up completely rejecting him. It's hard to believe, but that actually happened. But, but out, of, out of the community, he drew out these crowds. Now, you would think that would be enough. All right, crowds, 
Good to see you. Hope, you. hope you'll be here next week, you know. But that isn't what he does. It's, it's like he's trying to drive them off. It's like he's trying to run them off. What's he doing here? He says, you can't be my disciple unless. And, and, and in case you missed that, you can't be my disciple unless. And the things he's talking about are, you know, people that you would love, your mother, your, your, your brothers, your sisters, your children, your wife, all these people that are close to you. No, 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 you've got to love me, he says, way more than any of them, or you can't be my disciple. And by the way, you've got to be willing to lay down your own life for me, or you can't be my disciple. What he's doing is he's taking the crowds and he's drawing out of the crowds people who would be committed. He did this with Peter. No, 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 Peter, you've got to get this right. You've got to decide, are you going to have in mind the things of God or the things of man? And it's not just about sparing my life, Peter. It's about your life and what you're going to decide to do with your life. Well, that same dis- d- discussion that he had with Peter, and you could say, well, he was going to be one of the apostles. Of course he needed to have that talk with him. No, no, he's having that talk with all these large crowds. Because out of the community, he drew the crowds. But then out of the crowds, he drew those who would be committed. What's he doing? He's building his church here. It was those committed who would be his church. The Greek word that we have in the Bible that, that when, we, when we read in our Bible, English Bible, church, is translated from a Greek word, ekklesia. And it's actually two words put together, ek, out, and klesia, to call, meaning to call out. When you read the word church, what your, the original meaning is the called out. And what we see Jesus doing with the crowds is this. Jesus calls us out of the world so we can come into his church. That's what church is all about. And so it's really hard to be one of those Christian atheists who believe in God, but not in his church. Because if you're going to relate to Jesus sooner or later, he's going to have one of those talks with you that he had with Peter. Are you going to have in mind the things of man or the things of God? Because he wants to call you out of the world. Think about that interaction that occurred in Jackie's life with her friend. Her friend that once had introduced her to a life of partying. Now is is introducing her to something else. That experience she had at Magic Mountain. And that experience she had at the Boys and Girls Club here in Camarillo. But what was going on in her life was Jesus was calling her out. Out of the world so that she could then come into his church. How important is this to Jesus? Well, in in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 and 26, we have this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Now, the passage is the Apostle Paul writing to husbands to tell them how to treat their wives. And he's trying to find a way. What, What would be a way, a powerful slam dunk exclamation point on the end of it way that he could convince the husbands how to take however they are towards their wife and raise the bar on that. And every once in a while we need to do that, right, husbands? And, and wives, you, the husbands need to do that every once in a while, right? That's right. And he uses this illustration. And he says, you know, as husbands with wives, well, that's like Christ and the church. It's amazing. 
We're not just talking about something that's just kind of out there, and if you ever get around to it, you might show up at church sometime. How would that work in the Quint home if I, if I related to my wife that way? I may or may not be home this week. I don't know. We'll have to see, you know, if the weather changes, you may not see me for a while, okay? You know, and depending on how things go and how you treat me, and uh, I may or may not show up. I mean, what, what we're talking about here is, is him taking a, a, a relationship that everybody can relate to in some way. You're either a husband or a wife, or you know one somewhere. You've known husbands and wives. And he's talking about the fact that for him, it's personal. This dynamic of us with him and being a part of his church with him, this is personal. And if we're going to have a close relationship with Jesus, we're going to eventually have to talk about our relationship with him as it goes in the church. All right? We're going to talk about the fact that in giving himself up for the church, he was creating something that would be absolutely life-transforming for us. The church, there's a lot of ways that the Bible describes the church. And we're going to talk, first of all, about the church being a family. A few years ago, we were deciding we needed a, a new vehicle and uh, I really wanted a Jeep. I wanted a Jeep Cherokee. And there was this Jeep dealership uh, near where we lived, and uh, I would drive by it every once in a while, and I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the dealership. I hadn't, I hadn't been in a car dealership for years and years and years, but I decided I'm going to go to this car dealership. And I remember sitting in the car dealership, walking in, and the eyes of the salesman just riveted on us. And I, I sat down, and then several of them stood up, and they talked to each other, and then one started walking towards us. I remember feeling so out of place, a fish out of water, so out of my element, and so scrutinized, and so insecure, and so out of it not being anywhere in my sphere of control, and thinking, what's going to happen next? And thinking, could I run to the door and get out of here? How did I ever decide to put myself in this place? And it occurred to me, that's exactly how some people feel when they come into church. All of those things. I'm very comfortable in church, but I know there's people that, that show up and they don't feel that way at all. And when I come to them, I say, hey, I'm Ron, I'm one of the ministers, how are you? They're probably wanting to run the other way, you know? Oh, no. That, that there's this, there is this, this feeling of church and what it is and what it means to people. And there, there's people who have really haven't ever been or their experience is different. But it's also true that after you've logged a few miles in church, after you've been there a while, you're going to sustain some hurts. You're going to sustain some challenges. You're going to face some difficulties. It's not easy. Any human relationship is not easy. And it's certainly true with the human relationships that collect in what we call the church. Now, it's personal with Jesus. It's important to him. It's his church. It's, it's like his wife, his bride. But it doesn't mean it's, it's easy. We need some handles. We need some, some, some help with, well, what, what really is the church? And one of the things that the Bible describes the church as is it's a family. It's like a family. And, and there's a great scripture in Psalm 68 that says this, 
A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. That's what God wants. He doesn't want anyone to be lonely. He doesn't want anyone to go through some difficult chapter in their life and be alone through that. He doesn't want anybody to face themselves and struggles with themselves or in their homes or their their relationships or in their career or with their health or whatever it may be. He doesn't want anybody to go through it and say and feel and think and experience, I'm all alone here. Nobody can relate to me. Who do I talk to? Who do I get help from? He doesn't want that to happen to anybody. He wants to put the lonely in families. How does he do that? Well, here's a great scripture from Ephesians 2. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. What he wants to do with the lonely is to put them not just in families, but in his family and in his household. Here's another scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. God's house, God's family, where he wants to take the lonely people and where he wants to put them is in his church. That's his house. There's his creation, and his creation is amazing. And seeing those, the snow on the mountains driving in today was spectacular. You don't see that every day in Southern California. Not here. That's part of God's creation. But that's not necessarily going to help me when I'm lonely. That's not necessarily going to connect with me when I'm feeling defeated or I'm feeling like a failure or I'm feeling like I've broken myself somehow in my moral character or I I feel like I don't know, I've got a decision to make and I don't have the wisdom from my life experience to know what way to go, what, what path to take. The, the, the snow-capped mountains are part of God's creation, but they're not necessarily going to speak to me and help me like being in God's household and God's family will do. And he says, I'm writing you about this stuff so you'll know how to relate to each other in my household. And then he has this scripture a little bit later in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if you, if you were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. What's he doing here? Well, he's building the church is what he's doing. And he's writing about how to relate in the church, and he's drawing on family relationships. Because what God wants the church to be is a family. Now, you know, we all come from various levels of dysfunction in our families. You know, all families are dysfunctional somehow. And as much as I've tried in raising my sons uh, and and my wife and I raising our sons, they're 27 and and 23 now, uh, you know, uh, they would tell you there was some dysfunction in that home. Uh, But but still, what, what happens with family is there is this level of commitment and this level of connectedness that you have because you're family. And, you know, God wants that to be the way it is with the church. 
And he wants the church to be a place where, because of our commitment to each other, we work things out and we hang in there and with the guidance of God's word and with the leading of God's spirit, we work things out. Here's the bottom line on this point. As part of God's family, I will focus on relationships, not rules. Now in our house, you know, we, we did have some rules. We had some rules, you know, about what time uh, our sons would get home at night. And if they pushed those boundaries, then we'd have a talk about that. And we had certain rules, you know, about how they talked to their mother or how they talked to me. And, and we had certain rules about their conduct with their friends and, and all of that. But, but, but at any given point along the way where it became more about the rules and less about the quality of our relationship with them, and that did happen, we lost major ground with them. Now, at 27 and, and 24, 24, 23... 23. Drew's 23. He won't be 24 till June. I'm losing it. <laughs> that rules isn't, isn't what's going to work with them. It's, the, it's the, the quality of the relationship that we have. That's, that's where the real power is now, right? And that's also true in the church. And we need to take a look at, you know, how we're relating to each other. Because, you know, the, the problem with relating according to rules is that rules really just don't go far enough. They're just so external. And we could have a rule about what time are you getting to worship. We could, we could do that. But that's not really very enforceable. Because what are we going to do? If you come a little bit later, are we going to lock the doors and say, Sorry, you came late. We're not letting you in. You know? but, but, but if you think about relationships, and you think about, Wow, you know, I know that my presence there affects the family then I'm going to think about how can I get there and when can I get there to be an encouragement. You know, we have midweeks every other week, you know. And you could, if we could make a rule, you know, you can't be a member of this church if you don't come to midweeks. We could do that. But, you know, is that really, is that going to convey the kind of tone that we want to? Or you could think in terms of your relationship, and it's like, it's like missing a family meal. And it's just not the same in a family if, if somebody's missing a dinner, if somebody's missing something, you know? And when, when you think more about the relationships, actually it has a lot more motivational effect to get you there. And we could have rules about unity. Okay, what does it take to be unified? And what does it take to be in agreement? And we could line all these things up, and you've got to agree with all these things, and then if you do that, then we're unified, you know. But, but in the end, you may be agreeing on the outside, but not in your heart. But when we're committed to relationships, if we're not in agreement and we sense that we're going to hang in there with each other until we get through it, until we arrive at a place that we can agree on, hey, we can be unified. And, of course, using God's word all the time as our guiding light, all right? So the point here is... The church is important to Jesus, it's personal with him, and it needs to be personal with us, and he wants us to relate to the church as a family. The church is also a body. Let's read this scripture from Ephesians chapter 1. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. The church 
is his body. He's the head. The church is his body. And it makes sense. If you want to have a relationship with the head, you're going to have to be in the body. If my hand wanted to jump off and be separate from my body and say, I'm still going to relate to the head, well, that would just be abnormal, wouldn't it? There'd just be something wrong about that, to have a hand trying to relate to the head all by itself. The idea is, is He's, he's conveying here is to have a relationship with Jesus the head, we also are going to have to relate to each other, our, our fellow Christians, as part of the body, all right? He says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We know this from our human bodies. We know that we appreciate all of our body and, and you know, we want every part in place just to, just to take you know, the fingers. Because it's amazing that if you, you just remove the thumb, you know, that, one, that one thing, that really affects things, doesn't it? You want it all in place. You want everything there. And when Jesus looks at the church, he wants everybody there. He wants everybody in place because his body, and he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, but his body won't function completely unless each part is there doing its work. And that's how the church grows, and that's how the church builds itself up if and when and only when each part is doing its work. Now let's just take, let's just take a couple examples about this. Imagine a young man growing up in Taiwan. Taiwan, of all places. And God has something in mind for him, though he doesn't realize it. But God has in mind for him using his musical ability to be able to be part of worship. I couldn't help it, as I was sitting there this morning and I was just being so ministered to and blessed by Denny playing the piano and thinking about who would have ever thought in a million years when he was growing up as a teenager in Taiwan that, that he was going to be part of the body of Christ. And I don't know what God is going to do next with, with Denny and his life when he finishes school, if he's going to stay here, or God's going to call him back to Taiwan to bless the church there, but, but he's got a place in the body, all right? I mean, we can go over and over again with this. I think about Peter, and what a great worship leader he is. And how you can just, you can just see him giving his heart, and I can't do that. I cannot play the guitar and I cannot sing the way he does. And to play the guitar and sing all at the same time and lead others in it, that's just, that's just amazing, you know? And, and it's, it's easy with, with these pieces to say, wow, you know, what would it be like if, if we didn't have people like that in, in the mix to, to bless us? But you know that every single person in the body is exactly that important. Some things are seen visibly. Some things are, are not seen so well. You know, right now, there's people back ministering to the kids in teaching them and helping them to make a connection with God. And that's not as visible and upfront, but that's as important as anything else that's done. 
that one of those little ones makes a connection with the Lord today? And we can go on and on and on with, with all dozens and dozens of different ways that serving and blessing and helping and ministering occurs. Now remember with Jesus, it's personal. And it's very personal with Jesus that you find your work to do. It's a sacred responsibility that everybody has. And our goal would be that 100% of every person in the church is active doing their work, whatever it is. It's going to be different. Your work isn't going to be Geo's work. It's going to be something different. But your work, if you don't do it, the church is going to be less for it. The body of Christ is going to be missing something because of it. We really appreciate our relationship with Geo and Karen. And I'm, uh, I've noticed this more and more. I'm, I'm getting older. And, I'm, and they talk about athletes and how they get older and they say he's, he's lost a step. And I feel that in my life, you know, in my ministry life, I'm losing a step. And it's great being around Gio because he's, he's just younger and he's more energized and he's got more, more things going on. And I like being around him. And, and, and it, it helps me. It, 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 it perks me up, you know. And he's got, he's got a, a, a role that God is using to help me in my life. And I can't imagine, you know, not having him there to do that. You've got somebody that you're going to help grow. Somebody that because you do what you do in their life, it's going to make a difference, and not just here, but it's going to make a difference for eternity. So let's not be those Christian atheists that believe in God, but, but not his church. But let's get the message how personal this is from Jesus, and let's, let's be a part of the family. Let's be a part of the family and, and think in terms of our relationships and the quality of them. And let's be part of the body. And let's think about how we can use what we do to help others grow. Thank you.